0: Welcome to episode 283 of the Rugby League Republic Podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr T. In this episode, we discuss TPJ quitting NRL, the Eels, the Matildas and much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The rugby League Republic Podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 283 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the People. I'm your co-host, Dr T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, have you had a good week
1: this week? Uh, Dr T, I've had an amazing week um, supporting my Matildas, um, you know, the uh, <laughs> the team that I was buried before anybody else knew about them, not really, but... I'm a bandwagon jumper officially, but 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 other than that, yeah. Look, uh, yeah, great round of rugby league. Um, results didn't really go everyone's way, but hey, I got a perfect round, so I'm happy. How about yourself, Doctor T?
0: <laughs> I did not get a perfect round, and I thought you were going to say the tigers not the Matildas. But anyway,
1: the Tigers. Yeah, <laughs> it's
0: all right. It's all good. It's all good. Um, but yeah, look, my my eels. Are, I think, look, technically. Mathematically, they can still make the eight, but we're going to talk about, you know, I get the feeling they're gone for the season. So I'm going to do a bit of a pre pre post mortem, if, if that makes sense. Um, you know, make let's have a look at what went wrong and uh, look, you know, they could surprise me, but in all likelihood, I think uh, I'm I'm drawing a line on the sand there. I think that they're out for the season. So I think um, I think it's time to look back at what went wrong because. Uh, You know, Lord knows if you're an Eels fan, we have been talking about what's been going wrong all season. It's been, uh, you know, we've been practicing for this moment uh, when we can finally say, you know, here are the reasons why we didn't, um, we didn't capitalize on the good work of last year, uh, making it to the grand final. Very disappointing season for the Eels. But look, we're also going to talk about very positive things and and not even in rugby league. We're going to talk about the Matildas a little bit because... uh, It's uh, the Matildas, female women's soccer, is gripping the nation here at the moment yeah, in Australia. It's Matilda
1: Mania running wild.
0: That's right, that's right, and um, and and we're going to talk about. Look, maybe they've inspired uh, the decision of uh, the great TPJ to mm. follow his dreams in another sport. So we're going to talk about that. TPJ has quit the NRL, or will wow. quit, quit at the end of the season to take up boxing. So, we're going to talk about that later as well. Lots more to talk about, but let's jump into the round 24 review. Tackle number one, here we go. All right. Round twenty-four started off with the Pen- Panthers twenty-four to twelve over Manly at Four Pines Park. The Cronulla Sharks thirty-six to six against the Gold Coast Titans at Point Bet Stadium. Uh, Brisbane Broncos flogging my eels fifty-four to ten at the Gabba on Friday night in front of twenty-nine thousand fans. South Sydney Rabbitohs thirty-six to twenty-four over traditional rival St George Illawarra Dragons uh, at Barlow Park. The Warriors, thirty to twenty-two, edging out West Tigers in in the games. But uh, this time it was at FMG Stadium in Waikato. So this was the Tigers' game, home game that they, uh, the, you know, they're the only team in the NRL that brought their game, home game, over to the Warriors as a thank you for what's been happening in the last couple of years with COVID. Uh, and that was in front of twenty-five thousand fans in Waikato. So well done to everyone who went out there. The Roosters 30 to 14 over the Dolphins at Allianz Stadium. Uh, Melbourne Storm 48 to two against top four contenders. Canberra Raiders in front of 17,000 or so at Amy Park, and finally Newcastle Knights flogging the Bulldogs 42 to six at McDonald Jones Stadium in front of 24,000 or so. Um, and obviously the, the Cowboys had the bye. And look, one of the key Highlights I guess uh, Was for Well the Broncos Apart from flogging My Eels 54 to 10 In a near Flawless performance um, Adam Reynolds Has become The second player In history uh, In the history Of the NRL To kick 1000 Career goals Well done To Adam Reynolds Um, Mm. You know A big occasion And look Tish um, Obviously We can talk about The lowlights Of the Eels Later (laughs) Very depressing but, uh, you know, they're not the only team that has come under fire for um, pretty dismal performance on the weekend. In fact, two of the other teams that got flogged by, uh, well, you know, in this weekend were Canberra Raiders getting flogged 48-2 to two by Melbourne Storm, uh, saw a pretty tense press conference afterwards with Ricky Stewart um, just, you yeah. know, saying he's had a gutful. I think he called everybody he saw, we got a dog. He just wow. went... <laughs> went off he just didn't know what to do he just went off like a frog in a sock as they say um and uh the knights 42 to 6 against the bulldogs bulldogs have not been able to put uh any semblance of a defensive effort together this year at all mm. uh you know, cameron seraldo maybe uh, under the pump a little bit um but yeah lots of pressure there at the bulldogs gus gould having to you know uh have, have media beefs with certain people in the media about, mm. the, um, you know, it's not shaping up very good for the Bulldogs either. So, look, um, yeah, not much positives to say, really. I mean, the Sharks yeah. are with with a good win. The Warriors did what they needed to do against West Tigers in a bit of a controversial circumstances. Look, I have to say, apart from, you know, the Knights keeping on doing what they're doing, the Storm ramping up, Um, The Broncos on song there really isn't Wasn't much positive like there wasn't really anything where you could say wow this team really stepped up and we and it was unexpected Um, The teams that are have been doing well did well on the weekend and the teams that have not been doing well got found out That's my summary. What about you tish?
1: Yeah, well look well summarized. Um, Let me just bring a couple of moments. Maybe um, so I'd say, well, one moment that I thought that was uh, very interesting. But Thursday night game, we saw uh, Manly uh, with some unusual tactics, like the zero tackle kick. Uh, <laughs> so basically, you know, um, you know, uh, the you know the ball was kicked to Manly after you know uh, from Penrith, and then Manly on the first tackle decided to kick it back, right? Um, uh, to you know, <laughs> that's maybe a smart initi- idea. <laughs> yeah, initiate a kicking duel from the eighties um and then panthers just scored because i got a position <laughs> on that tackle like <laughs> literally like they ran so so like i thought that was like super interesting trying new new tactics but i think in the end and even Delicere Evans at the end of the game was like well you know we still got a, a shot and i'm like i don't think you even mathematically have a shot um but you know but but i suppose you know that's that's what you've got to say um so i found that great and look you know, you touched on it earlier, but I think, I mean, there's not a lot to be proud of as a Tigers fan. But I think one thing that I could be proud of is the fact that we did take a game to New Zealand and then um, to Waikato. Um, we had a capacity crowd. I mean, it's twenty five thousand seats. Stadium we had twenty five thousand people there, and uh, throughout the whole week, um, there was like there seemed to be added, um, you know, emphasis on like you know social media about you know, uh, meeting the, uh, you know, community and really getting behind the team and so forth. And, you know, it wasn't like when the Tigers scored that the crowd went silent. There were lots of people supporting the Tigers. Obviously, the Warriors at home, like, you know, in a way at the home ground was, was great. But I think it was really good. And I think what this also shows is the lost opportunity all the other NRL clubs had of um, not taking a game to New Zealand. Because I'd say New Zealand is on, is red hot on fire uh, for rugby league at the moment, you know they've they have sort of cra- you know been craving it. The Warriors are performing well, you know, but the crowds the crowds for the Warriors have been showing up even when the Warriors weren't doing well. Like I think ever since their first game back uh, last year towards the end of last year. They've, they've they've had capacity crowds pretty much every week, right? So, I know we talked about it a few weeks ago, but see, I think well done to the West Tigers, and look, I think what New Zealand are doing are fantastic, and look, uh, probably in that one, here's the thing, the Warriors probably didn't play their best, but then they were able to sc- scrape through the victory, um, so I think that's a really good sign for how they're going to get to the finals. Um, you know, the Broncos, what I've got to say, oh, I mean, just touching on the Broncos a little bit, Kevin Walter's was absolutely angry <laughs> throughout the whole game. So they've obviously increased their standards. And, um, you know, South Sydney, they, they irked out a win against the LaWara. Um some Latrell uh, Mitchell brilliance, um, but they seem to be hitting a little bit of form. So, look, I think we're all gearing up to what's happening in the finals. And, you know, there's still a race, but, like, you know, obviously Canberra getting thumped uh, really badly and the Newcastle winning quite well. Um it's kind of um sort of changed the, well, i don't think there's that many changes to the eight, but definitely you know um you know so the sharks moving up one place as well as the raiders going down one place and sort of you know the cowboys also moving into ninth so based on based on four and against, you know the four and against that they're able to have now is is um yeah, is a bit better than the Eels. so so definitely a bit of changing and um it's gonna be interesting how we you know who makes up the eight when we finally get there in about three weeks.
0: Absolutely. Look, and yeah, I think you just went through the ladder as well. There's there's still a little bit to, to play for for the, in the next three, uh, well, three more rounds left to go. And uh, and as we said last week, when we we're looking at the the likely uh, path for a bunch of teams, um, the only thing that's really different now is. You know, like I said, mathematically, the Eels could still make it. They're two points out of the eight. They've got a pretty good for and against. Um, Not really as strong as the Rabbitohs, so they're going to rely on the Rabbitohs dropping more than one game. But mathematically, even though they've got a terrible for and against, the Roosters are equal on uh, 10th. with 26 points with the eels, so you know they're back in the hunt as well. Technically, mathematically, they could still make it as well. Um, very and well, Manly even as well could could make it, but it's very unlikely. They're another point back on 25. So a lot happening at the top, a lot happening down the bottom of the top eight, um, and everywhere in between. I think. Look, you know, we don't often do this, but I think the 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 most disappointed uh, person I think in this entire round would have to be ricky stewart i think uh you had an opportunity there and you just you know it was basically both teams were on 30 points and the the uh, you know the storm flogged them basically really uh showed you know you're not ready yet for the top four and and uh jumped over them to get into that top four spot um and so did the sharks as well but yeah the raiders look um we're wondering how they got to uh the top They're in the top eight at the moment. They possibly could miss out. They might not. But they're currently on a negative 124 and against, which is way lower than any other team. Uh, it's unbelievable. So, yeah, Ricky Stewart gets the most disappointed uh, person of the way, of the round award, if there is one. Um, and, yeah, there's quite a few other happy campers there in, in the top eight at the moment. Um, but And we are going to talk about later, uh, I guess, uh the uh, you know what's happening with um, with the eels, but before we do, let's jump into some of the big news that's come out. Uh, I think today this one came out. It's about TPJ, and we are on tackle two. All right, Tavita Pango Jr. has sent the NRL world into shock after he's informed his Bulldogs teammates that he will retire from the game at the end of this season, and he will quit the game entirely and take up a new sport, boxing. So he's going <laughs> to pursue a career in boxing, according to Danny Weidler uh, from Nine News. And look, a lot of a lot of people online. I've I've already looked online and seen a lot of people. Uh, uh, you know, pointing to uh, you know the uh, I guess the um, uh, if you know if they're doing a bit of a post mortem on his on his NRL career and thinking, no, he had so much potential. You know, he he had just got picked for um, Origin this year and uh, yeah. and and for some reason squandered the opportunity. Uh, you know, a lot of people blaming. Him, him obviously uh, you know if, if you're if you're a difficult player to coach if you keep making the same mistakes over and over again it's uh it's it's very difficult to to progress you know in in any kind of endeavor you know if you how are you going to get promoted if you don't learn your lessons from from uh, your poor performances, and 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 that I think that's been the case for him. Um, and and of course, a lot of people would would say, well, isn't that the point of having coaching staff? And uh, you know, at some point, others have to be uh, also responsible for trying to shape the careers of these players. You know, like you you you're investing time and effort into every single player on your squad, uh, and when you've got someone who's a beast like TPJ, um, you know yes, of course, you've got to take responsibility individually for your career, but at some point you sort of wonder, was he getting the right advice? Was he getting the right kind of guidance and mentorship? Um, because it's not just this decision that has shocked a lot of people. I mean, he's also, um, you know, some question the way the way he played, um, his decision-making on the field was questionable. One wonders whether he was uh, given the, the care and attention that he needed to kind of um, overcome those obstacles and improve his performance. So, look, yeah, a lot, lots of different uh, points of view that I've seen, uh, you know, on, online about, about what's been happening. But, um, but one in particular that I saw that, um, uh, you know, I wonder... Uh, you know, I wonder whether this is true or not, but well, actually, before I do that, let me just jump to your views. Tish, what are your views of TPJ? Are you disappointed that, that we're not going to see the best of him now?
1: Um, he, yeah, look, I think, yeah, I would say that I, I think we have seen some really good, great moments and really great games, uh, for Tamir Pangai Jr., where he really there were some games where he kind of was the difference, right? He was so aggressive and up in people's faces and destroying and just like, you know, the running meters were there, The you know, the hard tackles are there. So I think I felt like I did see him play at his best, but probably what he probably lacked was the consistency, right, um, of being able to produce that week in, week out. And perhaps, you know, the expectation of doing that week in, week out um, might also be a bit of a, a factor for him as well, right? Like, you know, it is, you know, when he plays at that very high level, you um, you Know, I don't think it's fair to necessarily keep playing at that level every week, week in, week out. Probably what you could say, though, is that perhaps he kind of um, you know, perhaps he could have uh, like um, you know, maybe every third or fourth game be able to to sort of uh, to sort of um, you know, sort of produce that. But in yeah. saying that, you know, he wants to go out and um, you know, pursue you know, a future in boxing, I do believe. I think he's had a professional fight before. Like I'm pretty sure I've seen pictures or something of him, you know, perhaps having a game, uh, a match here or there before, Um, you know, so I kind of feel like it's not out of completely left field. Um, But i got to say, when I heard the news that, Hey, he's quitting, I thought he was immediately going to rugby for some reason uh, because the world cup was around the corner. So it Mm. did surprise me that it was um, straight into boxing and, um, you know, some of these. So, sometimes these are uh, these sort of. Um, yeah, this is kind of the thing. These athletes now, they sort of you know the training that goes into, you know, being a an NRL player, and the training that goes into a to boxing. There there is probably differences, but there's probably a lot that is very similar too. So it's going to be interesting how he would make a transition and how he would fare compared to like an Anthony Mundine, who sort of was a lot older when he started and. um you know, it ended up winning a world championship, right? So just wondering how, jumping in now, I wonder what type of a career he could actually have um, as a boxer.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and, look, I want to throw another kind of, uh, look, he's throwing a curveball at us. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. There's been suggestions that there's maybe something else going on here. Uh, saying doesn't quite seem right, and I think it's Brayton has sort of raised this in in, their, in his show on Fox uh, Sports. Uh, this, there's a bit of a conspiracy. The suggestion is, uh, you know, you, it just doesn't make sense. I guess he's saying that that you would you're on seven hundred thousand or whatever it is a year, and then you decide, uh, you know, all of a sudden. Um, you know, I'm just going to quit and and go and uh, box for fifteen thousand dollars a fight or something <laughs> like really, you know, which is uh, who knows. I don't even know if that's accurate, <laughs> but he's probably worth a lot more than that per boxing fight. Um, but there's been a lot of suggestions as well uh, from uh, you know not just the regular Joe Blow on on online, on but also these uh, media pundits who are uh, you know former players and analysts and and journos on uh, especially on Fox Sports. Who uh, have suggested? Look, maybe, maybe what's going to happen is, is yeah, he's going to walk away, and and but you know the likelihood is that he'll come back to the NRL and he'll come back to a, a club that potentially could, um, you know, unlock his, uh, his uh, potential. Um, and so maybe what we'll see is yeah, he's walking away, but then he'll end up back in the NRL, but with a different club with a different set of circumstances. Um, You know, a lot of people are shocked, but um, uh, some people have suggested that, look, those who have spoken to the Bulldogs, uh, you know, insiders can tell you that there's been a a definite drop in TPJ's uh, sort of uh, ambition and passion throughout the year. Um, Not so much his attitude, but more just things have just looked down, down, down uh, and have progressively gotten worse. Um, And look, I wonder whether this has something to do with having a junior – kind of head coach that's never coached before. Um, you know, there's also a possibility that that uh, he's just not getting the the coaching kind of that he wants. Maybe, look, they do often say, Tish, don't they, that, you know, you don't leave an organisation, you leave a manager uh, mm. when you quit, quit a job. And I wonder whether this has anything to do with uh, Cameron Serraldo maybe, uh, you know, pushing some of the players away or just uh, TPJ just... Thinking this is enough. Um, I'm not getting any anywhere with this guy. I'm just quitting altogether, and maybe this was his way of getting a payout, and then uh, eventually turning around and coming back. And you know, I wonder whether I think um, you know, it's, it's a different situation to say a Sonny Bill Williams, where he also had a lot of hype and passion, and uh you know and and that kind of thing and and ended up moving away but going to rugby you know for, with a with a definite ambition to sort of make the world cup with the all blacks etc so all that sort of stuff um makes you think that it's a similar situation here but it might not quite be the same way uh, but anyway look that's that's what i've heard tish uh, i don't know if you've heard anything else but um i'll give you the last say on TPJ leaving nrl
1: well, I mean, um, okay, so uh, as you were explaining that, I kind of uh, I kind of thought about, like, yeah, he has he boxed before? And then I realised NRL boxes, are then now I think there is something up. <laughs> and the reason why I say that, I mean, I think Bray Farnaster makes a great point, but I'm looking at all these boxes, like, obviously, Paul Gallen, but he was still playing, and then he took up boxing sort of on the side, right? Um, but then you've got, like, uh, Josh Papali, um Sorry, uh, hopefully, I get his name right. Uh, Papale, uh, you know, he's done a back, uh, Junior Barlow, he's he's had a boxing fight as well. Um, even even the guy from uh, Manly, uh, you know, the the front roller there as well. Um, so they've you know, they've pursued boxing, Nelson, the soft of Solomona as well. So, so. You know, a lot of these players um, seem to be actually um, wanting to pursue boxing, but then they kind of um, still play in the NRL. So it is a bit odd that he is just quitting the NRL and just taking up boxing, like, straight out, right? Um, so, yeah, look, maybe he's very unhappy at the club, uh, which could be understandable. I mean, um, look, I suppose they're not coming in wooden spin. That's tiger, so, <laughs> but, 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 you know. I think I think when it comes to, uh, yeah, I, I think definitely there could be something up. I don't know what club he'll go to because he's, you know, there's been drama obviously with his exit from uh, Brisbane and now you've got a bit of drama here potentially. So I don't know how he would fare getting to another NRL club. So perhaps a different code or perhaps going to the Super League. I think that's all he could do. Whatever it is, I just hope for his sake he could figure figure it out. Um, and, and he does what makes him happy, and uh, and that's all we could uh, hope for him, and uh, yeah, look, uh, for me, I, th- I thought he's a great player, um, but yeah, I just, you know, the level that he played at, um, there wasn't too many people that can match him when he was on he- on his best day. De- definitely have to give him that.
0: Absolutely. Look, um, well, goodbye TPJ. Let's see what he can do for the rest of the season. Only a few more games left, but a disappointing, I think, if you're a if you're a fan of, um, uh, you know, TPJ and the talent that he uh, that he could have exploited in the NRL. But uh, as I said, some people are thinking that he might be back. So, you know, maybe it's not a goodbye, TPJ. Maybe it's a see you later. Um, all right. <laughs> here we go. We are going to talk about uh, Matilda Mania. Um, tackle number three. Here we go. All right, some inspiring music there uh, that brings us <laughs> into the Matildas. Look, the Matildas, why are we talking about women's soccer when we are an, a rugby league podcast? Well, I think I think it's like the elephant in the room. You just can't avoid talking about it at the moment, and it would be remiss of us to not even mention, a, you know, tip of the hat to what's happening mm-hmm. in the world of soccer because it potentially it gives us a little... You know, we'll talk about what's happening, and then we'll talk about how how can we learn from that. What's happening, and what what does it mean for rugby league and women's rugby league in particular? Um, and I just thought I'd start with look. We we obviously everyone knows we're hosting. Uh, well, we co-hosted with New Zealand the World Cup. We are now at the final stages of um, uh, semi-finals, basically at the moment. In fact, I think I just saw. Earlier tonight, we saw Spain advance to the final of the World Cup with, uh, uh, I think, a 2 1 win over Sweden. So, uh, and the, the next game we're going to see is, uh, well, by the time this is uh, published, we will know who the winner is. Hopefully, yeah. the Matildas will have won against England in the other semi final, which means that we'll, we'll be uh, facing Spain in the final if all goes well. But if not, it doesn't really matter. Matilda's mania is what this is about Uh, regardless of their performances um you know there is no doubt at all and the numbers are very clear that uh the matildas have definitely captivated australia um the imagination of australia they have played out of their skins they have been you know equal parts frustrating and uh and awe-inspiring to watch as almost every single soccer game is for those of us who enjoy it. And uh, as much as we do, maybe rugby league or even those who don't even casual fans have been really getting into it. But there's one, one thing that we've seen recently that has really showed us, look, the numbers are all showing us that this is the real deal. Uh, And what we saw was at Sunday night's game against France, when uh, the Matildas won an epic game, uh, went into a penalty shootout which was ended up being, I think, the longest penalty shootout in, in FIFA World Cup history, men's or women's, uh, where it was a uh, you know a total of I think twenty shots at goal. Yeah.
1: They were running um, out of players. They were
0: they they were on their last players, and and they would. I don't know, actually I don't actually know what happens if they all eleven players uh, on that are you know active. Uh, have taken a shot at goal. I wonder if they they go to other reserves or or maybe they just keep going and uh, player number one gets another shot again. Who knows? I I don't know. We almost got there, but no. Australia uh, ended up winning that one, which was fantastic. But, but the reason why I wanted to mention it is their TV ratings. Now, I know in rugby league terms, we often talk about TV ratings as one of the key indicators of, you know, look, it's one of the key things that you would look for in increasing your TV broadcast rights deals. It brings in money if you know how to um, analyze it right and if you know what it means for your, your customers, et cetera. Look, the Matildas. It keep in mind this was just a a quarterfinal. We're not even talking semi final or final. It's just a quarterfinal. Um, it hit a peak TV audience that game uh, Australia versus France of seven point two million people. Um, an average of four point one seven million tuned into that quarterfinal. Um, Amazing. And also, uh, Seven Network also had a four, uh, record 472,000 viewers that streamed a game on their digital platform, Seven Plus. So when you add all that up together, uh, it's a massive amount of people that watch the game. Um, when you put it into perspective, though, it was uh, the only, it was the most watched event in Australian TV history yep. uh, after, after Cathy Freeman's, iconic 400-metre race at the Sydney Olympics in the year 2000. So, And at that time, they recorded it as 8.8 million yeah. viewers. Um,
1: Which there was only nine, mil, 9 million people in Australia that time, right? <laughs> no, no,
0: no, no. no okay. not quite. Not quite, not quite, not quite. Um, and, and you know, again, putting it into perspective, it, it also, that quarterfinal surpassed, the 3.6 million who watched Ash Barty win the Australian Open final last year. Um, And obviously, you know, a lot of people have said quite astutely, of course, that, um, you know, isn't it interesting that women's sport uh, occupies those top three positions in in terms of most watched events in Australian TV history? Um, and, And look, there's also... Suggestion that we could see that by the time this goes to <laughs> goes on air, we could see that that record could actually be smashed. Uh, you know, Australia v England in a semi-final, all to play for for the World Cup final. We've already beaten our personal best. We've never gotten this far before in a women's World Cup uh, match. A World Cup tournament and, uh, you know, is it possible Cathy Freeman's record could be broken and we could be seeing the Matildas having not even won the cup yet (laughs) already smashing those TV ratings. And look, uh, and there's probably more stats that I could look at, but really I think that's enough there to sort of say, look, we're talking uh, a team that has captivated this nation more than any other sporting team in Australian history. Um, why is the question? <laughs> you know, w- what is it about the Matildas? Not that long ago, they they didn't have much of a following at all. Um, you know, they're not as successful as as some other um, you know sporting teams. They've got nowhere near the pedigree of the Kangaroos, um, the Wallabies, the the Green Caps. Uh, you know, the Baggy Greens, whatever we call them, the Australian cricket team, the men's mm. cricket team in particular. Um, nowhere near the history, you know. The, you can look at the netball as well, the opals, the diamonds, the basketball, yeah. the boomers, you know, the Matildas. If you would have, you know, before this tournament, and you know, certainly a few years ago, you would sort of think, you know, they're not. They wouldn't even be in maybe the top ten mm. uh, of the best sporting, uh, you know, or, or most popular sporting club. Um, uh outfits representing australia in various the various sports that that are quite popular um and we all know how popular soccer can be and so that's where we got a lot to do with it we all know that women's soccer out of all the women's kind of sports is gaining the most ground worldwide So, so in some ways it's kind of not unexpected that that a soccer team would be the one that's breaking those records and 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 achieving mainstream Kind of audiences like no other has, um, but still the question remains: Why the Matildas and why now? What's happened? What what is going on? So and I uh, look. I thought we'd just let's open that up as an as a, and I'll, I'll raise this with you, Tish. I'll, yeah. I'll hand over to you to work out. You know what is it with the Matildas and why now? What's going on? Can you explain what's happening?
1: Yeah. Well, look. I mean, very interesting points, and um, you yeah, know, to to your point. Um, 6th of August, so same month, right, as what's happening with with, with Matilda Mania, Um, you know, the, the Australian Diamonds, the Nepal team, won the uh World Cup, right? In 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 Johannesburg. We've had no news about it, really, you know. Um, and uh, but they're the most success, you know, Australia's the most successful Nepal nation, I think, ever. I think this is like our twelfth win, and we've had the most. Yeah, that's Uh, probably to be expected, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, to be expected. And I suppose we get we have that with the Kangaroos as well in rugby league a little bit as well, right? Like you kind of expected. So then, you know, you kind of where what we love in Australia then is some of these other teams that aren't fairly high-rated, you know, sort of going in, uh, we kind of want to support them more. You know, sometimes, you know, you might even argue that, say, the Wallabies are kind of a bit more loved than the Kangaroos a little bit because we kind of, you know... Have to really fight hard to be, you know, sort of well. Right now, I have to fight really hard to even be in the top ten, right? So, so, um, so that's where. The, so, I think there's a bit of the underdog story that comes into it, um, and I think also like, uh, you know, the position of the Socceroos, because, I mean, you know, the so- the Socceroos we have a lot of hopes and dreams of winning a World Cup, right? But we kind of know it's maybe never going to happen. For the men's team and for the women's team i mean they are sort of ranked 10th i think it is so they they are ranked a lot higher than what the soccer is are but they're still not you know one of the top sides at the moment and here they are getting to the semi-final so it is super exciting right to see um you know the underdog story a team that didn't really have too much of a profile before this going in here and now we're hosting this tournament which we're getting record crowds at which i think is unbelievable right And um, not just Australian records, but I believe there were some um, international records that were also broken as well. Um, So just getting that focus and Australia being sort of the launching pad for the Women's World Cup, right, you know, in in terms of turning this into sort of a mainstream sort of thing. And it's exciting. And I've got to say, the quality of football has been amazing. Like, I do – I kind of wonder, like, can these guys – can these girls actually get the soccer ruse as well? Like, they're really skillful, actually, you know, so – I think there's that. Um, and I think also um, the personality of Sam Kerr, right? So Sam Kerr is obviously the person that everybody knew. Um, you know, she's sort of gone out there, done amazing things. Now people are saying, oh, is she overrated? Is she overshadowing the other players? Maybe her injury has made it so that the other players have a bit of a chance in the spotlight. You know, I think she's coming back from injury. I think we we're already being a bit too harsh on her to write something. Um, but I just love the personality, right? Um, you know, she comes in. Oh, the crowd goes nuts every time the the, the um, you know we see her on television. She comes in. She kind of changes the game, but she's also letting the other players around her shine as well. And I think you're seeing the personalities. I mean, the goalkeeper that we have, just her. You know, her her demeanor during the whole uh, penalty shootout. I thought was fantastic. Um as well, like you know, and then her taking a shot early, missing it, and then being able to save one back. Like I thought it was just an incredible story, right? And then some of the others, like you could see, everybody's got a bit of personality, right? You know, um, to it. You know, there was the you know, there was the other one that you know, the one that you scored it was like a sydney FC player. So I think all those type of stories we're starting to hear about these players profile, you know, they don't seem to have like, you know, um, uh, beat up somebody at a nightclub uh, over the weekend type scenarios <laughs> that our real players <laughs> seem to have. So, you know, we're kind of, you know, a bit more sort of clean that way as well. So, yeah, and I think also, uh, look, the game on Saturday night against France, I think France was a great opponent for us. They're ranked higher than us. Um, you know that They seem to have, uh, you know, a, a team uh, full of lots of skill as well. Um, They have an incredibly handsome uh, coach, uh, which got pointed out to me about 100 times during the game. Um, (laughs) You know? And, like, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just, like, um, it was great. And how Australia had to fight, you know, Uh, Fowler, she she missed probably about 10 opportunities. But you could see her really trying hard, so you kind of, you know, you don't want to, like, say anything. And then, you know, France scored. They scored one, but then it got pulled back because, you know, um, because the captain who was like, you know, like three times the size of everybody else was like pulling people down, you know. So I think I think just the drama of it was was fantastic too. So look, well done the Matildas, and um yeah, I think what we could, yeah, I, I think that's what it is. I think A the underdog story, B, you know, we could um we could sort of live our soccer rouge dream through the Matildas, <laughs> right? Three, I mean we're probably not gonna get a World Cup in Australia because uh, we already have the stadiums and there's no building project projects to, um, you know, take bribes for. Um, so <laughs> we've got that going on. And then, and then I think also because, like, uh, yeah, uh, and, and the personalities that are there, right, I think, um, you know, you always need to have that one person who sort of breaks through. That was Sam. And now you've got other people becoming a household name. And uh, who knows? Like they keep talking about, oh, all these young girls and guys are going to be living the dream, they're going to be watching this and one day they're going to try to replicate it. And that's true. Like, I think the um, the audience, I mean, you you called it last week as well, the, the ticketing pricing, right? Making it affordable for people to go watch. I think that's probably one of the most important aspects of this, right? Because um, this is why you have low ticketing pricing because you want people to experience the game and then it's the experience that actually turns them into fans. Um you know, it's it's not all about just making the money now. It's more about um, trying to build a game for the future. And I think I think they've done a great job. Uh, you know, uh, Mister uh, I Am Qatari uh, and and his group of organisers. <laughs> I forgot, his name, Mario or something?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got an interesting Italian name. But uh, look, um, yeah, look, I, I think I think you're right. You know, the phrase "you got to be in it to win it." sort of applies here if you don't get Gianni people into
1: Infantino. so that's it. I'm sorry. Yep.
0: that's it yeah if you don't if you don't get people in to the stadium with low uh you know, you know if you kind of um, look it is about the experience if you don't get people in there, they're not going to experience anything and you can't really convert <laughs> fans can you so all you're going to do then is have like like the NFL does and others where big events uh, at a premium and a humongous cost and and only the rich people get to go and it just becomes an event but not really an event that is about the fans it's an event that's about the high end of town and i think the the difference here and this is something to be admired about the game of soccer and what they've tried to do here is to lower the, the bar in terms of making sure they can get as many people in spread the you know the experiences around we got to go um go to to a game uh, early on uh, actually it was a france game france and Jamaica and it was a, it was awesome great experience um mm-hmm. and it was so good to see i didn't know there were that many French people in australia <laughs> they seemed oh, to yeah. all be there they seemed to all be there in that stadium uh, but there weren't that mm-hmm. many in even compared to just the regular fan and i think that's um and, you know, as casual as these fans might be, maybe they don't know about the the full, uh, you know, mm. the details of the game and all that kind of stuff. It's well, just good really cock to and see. It.
1: bush as a as a in the canteen. Look,
0: there were a lot of um, Escargo uh, snack packs. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. Look, there was... Uh, and that's the other thing as well is... There's this perception that, you know, you've got to have uh, ticket prices have got to be high so you can maximize the amount of money. But even if you have low number of, like, low costs to get in, people, once they're there, once they experience the the thrill of everything, they might, they might uh, dig a little bit deeper into their pockets to get something to eat, something special. Mm. And, and at the end of the day, that all adds up to the revenue, doesn't it? So if you're looking mm. at revenue at the ground, you know, get more people in there and they're more likely to – you know, buy that extra beer or whatever it is. So like really, you know, and they're, they're not there at all. They're not going to buy mm. it, aren't they? So it's kind of yeah. obvious. But let me just say, let me just end this uh, sort of in terms of what the Matildas have done to captivate the imagination, you know, and also what the organisers have done to make it kind of affordable, which is, again, admirable and something that rugby league and the NRL should definitely take to heart, especially when we're talking about, you know, thinking about the grassroots, thinking about the um, – the supporters and, and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, definitely there's some lessons to be learned there, but, but there's another one that I've noticed that that I, well, I I didn't really know. And once I, once I, uh, it got pointed out to me, I I don't remember where it got pointed out. I might've been just a comment I saw online. I never looked at any of the games that I've watched uh, with the soccer again in the same way. And now that I see it, it's very hard to unsee it. One of the things that I think is very admirable about this entire World Cup uh, that, that I've been watching, um, but in particular the Matildas, in particular the Matildas, one of the things that is admirable is that there is a very minimal amount of what we in uh, we refer to in soccer as diving. Mm. <laughs> if and I think that's something that really connects with Australian audiences and the average punter is uh you know and that's kids families everyone is that we really can't handle seeing professional players dive around when they just get tapped mm. <laughs> a bit of a love, love tap and and they just roll around like a like uh what's his name Neymar rolling yeah. around like as if he's uh he's been um you know possessed by a demon um mm. it's it's not on, and people hate it. They hate it in the men's game, and someone yeah. pointed out to me: "Look, if you remember just the World Cup that just went went by last year with uh, with uh, you know Argentina winning um, the FIFA World Cup, it's it's night and day in terms of what you're seeing with the women's game. There's hardly any diving. When a player does go down and holds her face because her ankle got hurt a little bit, although it looked like it didn't, um, the crowd." get stuck into them they have been booing players who look like they've been you know milking uh, a bit of extra yeah. time on, on the ground um in many ways it's a bit off-putting but also good on new crowds because the, one way to send the message that we don't like this kind of the lying and the the lying down the diving all that kind of stuff is, is to just boop players that do that. You know, they'll get the message quick, smart, that we, we can see right through them. Um, mm-hmm. And I've got to say, that is one thing that I think, you know, in terms of why the Australian audiences have been captivated, it is a lot to do with, you know, the integrity of the players, the Matildas. They're uh, they they they're all heart. They're trying yeah. their best and, and they're not... Um, there's no gamesmanship as far as I can see. There's there's just a lot of, you know, hard and fast, get stuck in there, put your body on the line. Um, even for players like Sam Kerr, who is well, well known as one of the best in the world, and uh, she puts her body on the line even though she's injured. <laughs> you know, like yeah. how could you not admire that? And I think that's mm. um, I think She's that's the a Johnny good
1: thing. Sattler of uh, of the Matildas, right?
0: She is well, well, and we will talk about in a minute, Mitch Moses. She's the Mitch Moses, really, because he's also played with a broken cheekbone. It's a bit like that, isn't it? Look, but yeah, that's look, that's. Mm. Uh, i I'll, I'll end my comment on that because I think that's something that we could definitely. Um, you know, in terms of what people are seeing, I think that's something that we should play up in terms of the women's NRL, for instance. Yeah. Um, you know, play up the fact that they, this is a tough sport. It's tough for men. And it, it's kind of even more tough, I guess, for women in terms of, um, you know, their, their body being banged about and, and not having as much strength in muscles as the men would. But mm. they still get out there. They still get stuck into it. They put their bodies on the line. It's a really brutal sport, rugby league, and at that level as well, even in the women's game. And I think that's something that we should admire. Um, you know that that these are people that are they, they get stuck in there. They're not trying to shy away from a uh, from a from a challenge and from a collision, and and they do it because they love the sport. And I think that's um, you know, um, also just the good camaraderie. There's a lot of positive around the Matildas, and and I think the right things are being highlighted and and people are noticing. So, look, that's my final thought about what's the secret to their success. Tish, I'll I'll hand it over to you to wrap that one up and then we move to the next one.
1: Yeah, so if I could summarise, I think it's uh, basically uh, Australians, uh, we're lactose intolerant, we don't like milking.
0: (laughs) Yep, that's exactly right. (laughs) All right, speaking of that then. Oh, so did you have something else to say? Oh, I was going to move No, on. that's it, that's it. That's yeah. it, that's it. All right, let's go tackle number four. We're going to talk about my eels. Here we go. Wow, moody music really gets me into it, Tish. The Eels uh, have got me feeling that kind of way at the moment. They are uh, a dreadful performance against the Broncos. I actually genuinely thought that they would that they would beat them up there uh, yeah. at the Gabba, and I was extremely disappointed. Um, you know, as most Eels fans would be. Um, and look, really, this is not about just the one game. This is just about the entire. Uh, season, you know what went wrong. Look, I know we're only technically two points out of the eight, and we still could technically, mathematically make it. But in all likelihood, we 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 walk we already walk through some of the uh, the games that are coming up. The Eels have the toughest game. Uh, the, the, sorry, the toughest uh, road to the finals. They've got two tough games ahead, and then they've got um, uh, then they've got uh, the the bye. Um, I think they've got, correct me if I'm wrong, they've got the Roosters next and then they've got the Panthers and then the bye. And look, the way they're going, I don't know, they can beat the Roosters, let alone the bye, (laughs) to be honest. Um, It's it's shocking the way they're going, but I could be wrong. But look, I'm prepared to sort of draw a line under it and say I'm... Almost resigned to the fact that the Eels are not going to make the eight this year, and given that they made the final, uh, the grand final last year, and as disappointing as that was, that they met and you know a very polished and superior Panthers team, it's disappointing that we've just dropped out of the eight altogether this year. A lot of people have suggested there have been many reasons for this. You know, it doesn't help that you lose some of your star players in your spine. We did talk about that initially, and how they didn't really have a good player, good enough players to replace, uh, say, Reed Marnie in particular. Other players like Isaiah Papali'i, um, Nia Cori didn't really get replaced, uh, and so you know, when you lose players of that caliber, it's very hard for you to kind of. Um, Know, keep up to the same standards. Um, having said that, the Panthers lost Kikau, Corasau. <laughs> they're still there. <laughs> they're up there at the top. So yeah. they didn't really lose much, even though they lost, I, would, I think it's fair to say, two of the most important players in their team. And they're still there. Again, they got the system. The system works. Ivan Cleary knows what he's doing. It's working. Um, you lose some players. You've got a system there that you can bring up players that uh, can meet the and rise to the challenge, and the Eels simply haven't done that. And of course, uh, you know the 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 some people are regretting the fact that we've extended Brad Arthur's contract when, right when uh, you know they should have just waited a little bit until and given him a chance to back up his performances last year. It wasn't. To be, and so now we're stuck with the coaches is going to stick around and really hasn't demonstrated once again the ability of us to, you know, to bring us to where we need to be. Um, very disappointing. I know we've had injuries, you can throw in the fact we've had um, some suspensions that were uncalled for. Reagan Campbell Gillard has got suspended a couple of times, I think, as, as of other players. You can talk about Dylan Brown's off-field incident, which has completely uh, rattled the eels in, in the mid-season there. Um, you know, we were going all right. We were heading back to, to some semblance of, um, you know, on track for the eight, and then and then this happens. It Very disappointing. But some people have rewound it and gone all the way back to the Ryan Madison decision to not contest uh, or not pay the yeah. fine for uh, indiscretion last year and instead to sit out three games. And a lot of people have said, look, that should never have happened. Um, the club should have just said, let's get on with it. We'll pay the fine, whatever. What, for whatever silly reason that happened, It a lot of people are suggesting that that is kind of what started the rot at the beginning of the year. Um, it's just a very odd behaviour and uh, it doesn't really signal... Um, good camaraderie and support of your teammates when you do that, you know, he's letting others down and I think other people know it So look, I think I've just summarized all the reasons why the eels have just completely lost the plot this year I'm sure there are others but tish um, Yeah, I don't know what much more I can say. I don't know what's been happening Their defense has been kind of not that good this year, look, they're still at a positive four and against. They're plus 21. And, you know, prior to the Broncos game, they were, they were plus 50-something or whatever it was, 60-something. So they were actually closer to the Rabbitohs than You know, a couple of weeks ago, they were close enough in for and against to the Rabbitohs, and they were almost in the top eight. In fact, I think they were in the top eight at one point very recently. So I don't know what's happened. Fallen from grace doesn't help now that Mitch Moses is injured. He suffered a cheekbone injury, as I referred to earlier in the last game. Um, I think it was actually caused by that. Um, uh, I forget his name. Uh, he was. He was score. He scored a try for the Broncos. He chased him. Uh, ran him. F- Fogarty. What's his name? Herbie Farnworth. Farnworth. Herbie Farnworth. That's it, Herbie. Sorry. Um, yeah. Herbie.
1: He ran him backwards, by the way?
0: Yeah, it was a bit cheeky, but to be honest, like fair enough. He was kind of like uh, a bit excited. Yeah. But look, Mitch Moses ran him down and then proceeded to perform probably the the worst tackle that you could think of, going around the waist. I mean, he should have he should have just tackled him ball and all up top. He would have probably had a better chance of knocking him out the sideline. He ran him down mm-hmm. and he ran him down, not so easily, but still, he had plenty of time to do a, an effective tackle and didn't do that. And, and then in doing so, fell to the ground. I think that's when he broke his cheekbone. So, look, very disappointed for the Eels in general this year. Tish, uh, look, have I missed something? Is there another, you know, we're talking about secrets. What secret is it that uh, has led yeah. to the Eels' downfall?
1: Well, look, um, the, way, the, the way I look at it, um, look, uh, okay, this year, because they were grand finalists last year, and I think they were in the top four, maybe fifth, um, if they weren't. Maybe they were fourth. No, I think
0: they were out out of the top four.
1: They were out of the top four, yeah. But then they've sort of made the finals in the last few years, right? And then they were able to make the grand final last year. Um, And, you know, they're they're the team that has the best record against the Panthers over the last few years of their dominance, right? So you kind of felt that, you know, Parramatta, they're a real contender, right? They're a contender for the title and so forth. Um, But right now they're struggling to get to the top eight. So... You kind of think where where has it gone wrong, really? And you know, we're sort of three games out. We're already sort of uh, not see like you know they, they have to they have to win all their games and they have to uh, have results go their way. So that is a big fall, really. And then so what can you say? Well, I think the first thing you could say is that the uh, the premiership window for them has closed. Unfortunately, they're going to have to do some roster changes and they'll really have to change things up. To get back to being a finals contender, and then taking that extra step to, um, you know, to actually to actually win a premiership. Like I feel, I feel like, um, okay, so the Reed Marnie situation. Okay, look, Reed Marnie and you know, Appy are very similar. Same thing with, you know, Kikau and say, um, you know, Papa League, right? Um, you know, it's kind of like a very similar thing. But obviously, you've the Panthers bounce back, bounce back with their system. But then you think, okay, Parramatta were not able to bounce back. They did bring in Josh Hodson, which ended up not going so well, right? So, so, um, and they did buy some other players that you know to try and fill holes. So I think that I think probably where one situation that they probably need to address is: do we have any young players coming in who, you know, sort of love Parramatta, and want to be part of the Parramatta system, or so? so? Like, has that sort of been developed? Because it seems like the way to solve the problem uh, for a team like Parramatta, who are a bit. And you sort of compare that to, like, um, you know, uh, Melbourne, right? Where they sort of lose players, but then they've also got young corporate players coming in. You could actually say that about Brisbane. Like, how many of those players from Brisbane? their first club was the Broncos, right? So they seem to be doing that as well, and they're on top of the ladder. Um, you know, the Warriors, I mean, so many New Zealand-born players are playing for the Warriors as well, right? Um, mm. And you are going to see that with the Panthers. So you are got to see that they're really where Parramatta probably needs to sort of shift a little bit is to try and not necessarily work on the next big signing, but really build a system up a little bit, you know, and I think... They actually had success doing that a few years ago when they bought in Mitchell Moses, but then Dylan Brown was like a Parramatta Eels uh, produced player. So it was Reed Marnie. And so it was, you know, sort of, you know, Gutherson sort of had one game for Manly, but he's kind of been uh, a Parramatta Eel for the rest of it. So I think they've got to get back to that a little bit, being, you know, uh, the club that sort of people find their home in the NRL for playing. And I think that's going to bring, that's going to take that Ryan Madison. Attitude, can I say that? Where it's um, you know career over the team a little bit, or or fight over the team. I think that that kind of stuff has to uh, not be tolerated. And you know the final thing I'd say about Parramatta, I think in a way I, I actually I, I kind of disagreed with you about whether Brad Arthur is the problem for a long time, but I think I'm actually turning around. I'd say that he's a great coach and he's got he's done a phenomenal job getting the best out of his players but the real thing they lack for me is standards right um you know like Kevin Walters is not happy when they're leading by 40 and then yet yeah, Parramatta score against them right whereas um I feel like where Brad Arthur needs to really sort of look at this is just like Parramatta man like no standards <laughs> like you know they, they they lose again. They they lose against games that they should be winning. Um, you know they sort of leak points when they don't need to. They're kind of known as like you know, if you know if it's a flat track then they're going to sort of, sort of bully the opposition. I think they're just going to be like uh just be a hard and tough team and not give anybody an inch, right? And then you know be disappointed that you lost by fifty that you won by fifty, right? <laughs> like. You know, I feel like there's a bit too much of a like, you know, hey, let's celebrate the small wins a bit too much and not focus on the big prize, which is mm. hey, you know, let's be the let's be the generation that actually breaks through since the nineteen eighties. And I think I think that type of culture needs to somehow get into the club and, and maybe the best way of doing that is to change the coach.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I've been saying for a while, and a lot of people have as well. So let's see what happens, but Look, we leave to fight another it's all there's always next year, as the eels always say. <laughs> and speaking <laughs> of moving on, we're moving on to tackle number five. Here we go. All right. Payne Haas has re signed with the Broncos on a mega $3.5 million deal that will see him become the richest Broncos player in history. He, uh, his new deal will see him earn up to 1.2 million per season, making him the highest paid Broncos in the club's 35 years. He was already signed for 2024, but now his new supersized contract will see him remain at the Broncos until the end of 2026. And we're going to see that announced uh, officially within the next 24 hours. So by the time this gets out, hopefully it's an official one. Um, And look, you know, you remember that he has been previously linked to uh, rugby, uh, in particular the Western Force uh, team in Super Rugby. And so thankfully that didn't happen because I think he's got, uh, you know, a great future ahead of him in rugby league. Um, Not much more to debate here, but look, Payne Haas... Mm -hmm back with the Broncos. We'll remain there and he's going to be handsomely rewarded. What are your thoughts, Tish?
1: Yeah, well, look, uh, great day for Payne Haas, great day for uh, the Brisbane Broncos, great day for Rugby League because I've got to say, I feel like every year we've talked about Payne Haas's contract, right? Is he, like, unhappy, not happy? Like, he even got booed by by the Broncos, um, you know, because he asked for too much money a few years ago and all this kind of stuff. So... Um, I think great to see that he's actually, like, you know, locked in his future. You know, he's going to be a Bronco until 2026. Um, and, look, he's been playing fantastic, right? You know, he's been part of a winning team. I think things are happy. Things are looking up. Um, let's hope he could uh, replicate that for New South Wales and help us win another Origin.
0: I hope so too. And, look, um, well, without any further ado, let's move on to tackle number six, tips for round 25. so after the last round as you said earlier you got eight out of eight perfect round i think that's probably the second time this year you've got a perfect round well done tish that brings you to 113 and obviously i was trying to catch up and i did not (laughs) i was catching up with my losses and i got worse so i got four out of eight which uh, means i'm at 107 so i'm a six points behind you now Unfortunately, I was getting close and then I've just squandered it at the last minute, a bit like um, TPJ, I guess. I don't know. Um, Look... (laughs) Now we've got round 25, uh, and we've got some good ones coming up because a lot of these games will dictate or, sorry, determine uh, who gets into the top eight and also the, the makeup of the top four. So some crucial games coming up. Let's go through them uh, bit by bit. Cowboys, who have just come off a bye, versus the Sharks, who have come off of a big win. At Queensland Country Bank Stadium, it's a Thursday night game. Um, this could go either way, and normally I would tip the Cowboys, but I think the Sharks are on fire at the moment, and I think, uh, you know, something about Nico Hines, he's, he's got the bit of the hunger back, so I'm going for the Sharks.
1: Yeah, look, I'm tipping Kid Rock and the Cowboys. Fair
0: enough. Warriors versus Manly at Go Media Stadium in Auckland. I think the Warriors are going to win this one.
1: Yeah, I think the Warriors as well, because um, I've, yeah, other than the <laughs> uh, The big Friday night game, Eels
0: v Roosters. And actually, this could be crucial for the Eels because uh, a win here would mean that, you know, they're a step closer to waiting for uh, one of the teams above them to stumble. Uh, and for that reason, I think that's motivation enough, the Eels to win this one.
1: Yeah, I think the Roosters, because I don't know how they're going to replace Moses, right?
0: I mean, Dylan Brown uh, probably has a bit of catching up to do, so who knows? Maybe maybe he'll have to play that role. Tigers yeah. v. Dolphins. And, uh, look, I'm going to go against the grain a little bit. I actually think the Tigers showed enough against the Warriors to dictate, uh, or to, again, to indicate, yeah. sorry, that they've uh, got a good chance against the Dolphins. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: I think so too, but I don't think they, they've got it in them to put two decent performances together, so I'm going to tip the Dolphins.
0: Wow, there you go. Titans v Panthers at by Super Stadium, Saturday, uh, Twilight. Panthers, I think, will easily win this one.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the Panthers as well. Dragons v
0: Storm at Wind Stadium on Saturday evening. I cannot see the Dragons winning this one. They had an opportunity to be a bit of a disruptive force last weekend, but they didn't. weren't able to do it, so I think they won't be able to do it again. Storm to yeah. win this one.
1: Yeah, look, I'm going to tip the Storm as well. Look, traditional rivals after the 99 grand final, uh, you know, but, uh, but uh, yeah, Storm, same result as as 99.
0: <laughs> um, Newcastle versus the Rabbitohs at McDonald Jones Stadium, Sunday 2 p.m. is going to be a crowd. In fact, I think I saw somewhere that it's already sold out. So the Nova mm. are going to be there in full support. And I think they will be able to bring them home. So the Knights to win this one.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a great game, great atmosphere. And I'm going to tip the Rabbitohs. I just think on a day game, um, they could, uh, I think that they'll definitely know how to put on some points.
0: And finally, uh, the Ricky Stewart Cup, Raiders versus Bulldogs (laughs) at GRS Stadium, Sunday at 4 p.m., I think the Raiders, despite the disappointing performance last round, are going to turn it around. The Bulldogs are probably struggling. The only team struggling even more than Ricky at the moment. And uh, I think for that reason, they'll win. And uh, a crucial win it will be because it will uh, propel them back up the ladder a little bit. So Raiders for mine.
1: Yeah. So I'm just going to do some massive. 48 minus 2, 46, 42. I guess I'm (laughs) going to tip the Raiders by 3 maybe. Right. Uh, or, three, or 300.
0: You just never know.
1: Three, three, 300, you don't know. But, like, um, look, at least Ricky Stewart will be accurate when he will call his opposition dogs this weekend after the first conference.
0: <laughs> That's right. Like I said, it's a Ricky Stewart cup for many reasons. Um, look... <laughs> The Broncos have the bye, of course, so it really is all about the the Panthers needing to win in order to stay top of the table. At the moment, they're top just because of their for and against. Uh, In fact, let me just double-check what their for and against is before we wrap this up, because... It must be pretty close. Oh, no, it's not. They're, they're 289 plus, and then uh, Broncos 213. So, I, I think it's unlikely that they'll surpass them for the remainder of the year. But there you go, look, and that is it for this podcast. We've it's been an epic one. We've talked about a lot of things close to our hearts the Eels and the Matildas, for one. But look, have a good week. Hopefully, everyone gets out there and watches a game and supports the NRL, supports Rugby League, wherever you are across the world. Tish, over to you to wrap this one up.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. T, and I'd like to thank everybody for listening. But that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We are your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.